I, I will always love Ukraine. It's, of course, easier to love it from a distance when you're not there, when you're not. And that's what I found here in Canada as well. Um, with a lot of the immigrants here, they are a lot more patriotic than the average Ukrainian person you'll meet in Ukraine. This podcast shows that Ukraine is not what foreigners see on television. In reality, Ukrainian people are much better, much more interesting and friendly than other people expect. This podcast is about the real life, experiences, work, and personalities of Ukrainian people with a focus on the capital, Kiev, so that foreigners discover the positive truth about Ukraine, visit the country, and invest in the economy, creating more opportunities for the younger Ukrainian generations to stay and build their country. Hello, my name is Aziz, and I have a deep connection with Ukraine. My grandfather volunteered in 1987 to clean the Chernobyl chemical radiation because he believed in humanity. He was a real hero to me, and even if this caused him to have cancer, he always told me many, many great things about Ukraine. Then, from 2018 to 2019, I began working with UNICEF in Ukraine to build orphanages for the children who lost their families in the war. I couldn't return to Ukraine in 2020 because of COVID-19, and this project is my volunteer work to help Ukraine. I thank you all for the support. This podcast now is ranked number one on Apple Podcasts about Ukraine, top 60 travel podcasts in the UK, and top 50 travel podcasts in Italy. My guest today is Stefania Klimenko. Steph is a political science student at York University in Toronto, Canada. She studied in the Kiev International School, and she speaks Ukrainian, Russian, English, and German. Steph is a figure skater, and she loves theater acting. How are you today? I am good. How I'm are really you? I'm happy to have you here with me, and Happy New Year to you. 100%. Happy New Year to you as well. Thank you. It's the holiday spirit. It's really enchanting. And to ask you, what is the story that made you the Steph that is today you? My story would have to begin with my parents and their decision to send me to Kiev International School. That was definitely a very important part of my upbringing and my childhood in Ukraine, not just because it taught me English, but also because it showed me a very interesting duality that there is to Ukraine. I attended Kiev International School as a private school. So the people I was surrounded with were from more affluent families of Ukraine and, you know, UN workers, diplomats, American people, it, all, all, ki all kinds of people. But what was interesting is that people outside of our school were so different. And the Ukraine that I experienced outside of school was completely different than what our school was. And it, it was crazy to see. It was crazy to see these kids who had, you know, these unimaginable levels of wealth when compared to average Ukrainian people. And that was, that was a very integral part to my 
upbringing and to the person I am today. That's cool. Yes. And how does that manifest? Because I understand that being in the international school in Kiev, that gives you a part, a somewhat of a sheltered life inside a bubble, like you said, of people who are similar and more international and more wealthy, while it's not at all the same life that the average Ukrainians have. But to you, how is that reflected in your personality, in who you are, or in your dreams and goals and thoughts? Right. Well, so I am currently in Toronto, in Canada, uh, going to university here, which is something that is quite unimaginable for most Ukrainians. I mean, I, I know people from regular Ukrainian public schools that have never even flown out of the country. And the fact that um, we at our school had this privilege to not only be surrounded by people who have traveled everywhere, but also to do that ourselves, that was a crazy part. And compared to all other Ukrainians, we, we had this privilege that we did not see until most of us left the school. Um, and I think, I think beyond all, though, that made me, it made me question why there is this gap in Ukraine. Why it's it's especially seen in the city of Kiev because if you go downtown in Kiev, you see all these luxury vehicles, and you would never guess that the country is at war, that the country is in an economic crisis, right? And then you go just outside of Kiev, and there you see what ninety five percent of Ukraine experiences, what the people experience, what the people see, but that is all dimmed by this glitz of the of the other 5%, the ones that, you know, can afford the luxury vehicles and the ones I went to school with. And it was, it was just something crazy to see and something I've always thought about and continue to think about till this day is how is it possible that a country can have such a duality and that there, it's, it's two, two different worlds in one city, in one country. That's very interesting. And now I'm thinking about a dichotomy or even a trichotomy, and I should keep my English simple. So look, how is the average like thought process and personality of the person in Kiev? And because of your unique background, how is your personality and mindset different to the average Ukrainian person? And how was it when you went to Canada? Was it easy to adapt or did you have a kind of culture shock? So I'm asking about three things. The average Ukrainian, your own personality, and the Canadian kind of way. I would say, I would say that the average Ukrainian mindset, and I cannot fully speak on this because, once again, I have only experienced this from the outside. I cannot say that I had it because I have been at the school my whole life and it shaped who I am as a person. But the average the average Ukrainian and the thing the thing that I experienced at the school when I first came there and the thing that um I the the main difference between Ukraine and I would say the Western countries, Canada specifically, is the way people are when you first meet them, when you first interact with them. In Ukraine, there's the stereotype um, that people are grumpy or people are, you know, they always look angry. And here in Canada, you go to the store and they will ask you, how is your day? How are you? 
But the thing is, they do not really mean that. They they do not really want to know how your day was or how you are. It's just polite. Whereas in Ukraine, people, they, they're real. They, they say it how they see it. And that was the weirdest thing to get used to. Kate, who yeah. is in New York, she said almost the same thing or exactly the same thing that people came to her in the shopping center or the supermarket and they say, hi, how are you? And she tried to answer, but they left because they don't expect it even to be true. Or like Nikita said, that the Western part compared to Ukraine, there is a hypocrisy of smiling if they don't mean it or of saying kind words that they don't mean while in Ukraine. If they smile or say something good, they mean it. Right. It's it's much more... It's much more real. It feels much more real because, you know, here everyone is smiling at you. And at first, if you're a foreigner, you kind of expect, you know, you ex- especially coming from Ukraine, you expect the smiling and the how are you to be real and you answer them. And But no one really cares. <laughs> and Ukraine is much, much more real in that aspect. It's people are more honest and people are. But when they are kind to you, you know, it's coming from a place of true goodwill and no other intentions. Thank you. Yes, I noticed that that actually people in Ukraine are more kind and friendly than people when I visited Brazil and lived there in a, for a while. Because And it's the opposite stereotype, actually. Maybe in the beginning, Ukrainian people might be more cold, but when they open up, they really open up. And to ask you, why did you choose Canada? Why did you choose exactly the major you're studying? What were your drivers or goals? The way I chose Canada was a bit of an accident. Um, <laughs> I applied to lots of other universities in uh, the United States, mostly. And then I just could not pick. So I decided to apply to a university in Canada. And I got in and I decided that that would be it. There is an amazing Ukrainian community in Canada, which differs a lot from actual Ukrainian people, but it's it's still great to have people from home when you're so far away. And my major was highly influenced by my love of politics. Um, and that came from the Maidan revolution, actually. That's when I first, um, I was 13 years old, no, 12 years old at the time. And that is when I first discovered my interest for politics. When I first started looking at things and thinking, why are these people in power? What makes them, why are, why did they get chosen by the people? And why, why are their, their ideals so unlike what the people want them to do? Okay. So when the Euromaidan revolution happened and you were 12 years old, you became, you began to question the status quo and to think, why are the people in power in power? And why are people, the normal people who are hoping and expecting so much from them not getting that? And why are those people who are in power keeping their power, although in many ways they're not satisfying the needs of their people? Or is this what I got from you? And what are your thoughts on politics? Like to you, what is your vision for a better political system or what is your what are your political thoughts in general like how do you view it and do you plan to return to ukraine 
with your diploma and work there? Or do you plan to keep on staying in Canada? So to be honest with you, I my political beliefs change very often. Um, I mean, they they have changed significantly from when I first came to Canada to now, which now I have been here for a year. Um, and it's it's interesting to see. I generally believe that the government, whatever government that may be, does not have the people's interests, best interests at heart. That is my general belief. And however, we do require some form of government um, to be in place. And what form of government should that be? I'm not one to speak. And I think that um, varies from country to country. For example, what works in Ukraine might not work in the United States or Canada. Um, similarly, what works in Canada might not work in Ukraine. So it's very difficult to say. And as to um, whether I plan on coming back. So I intend to finish law school um, after my undergraduate degree. And after that, I have not decided, but I, I, I would love to go back and see if there's anything I can do for Ukraine, if there's anything I can do to help the country, because I, I will always love Ukraine. It's, of course, easier to love it from a distance when you're not there, when you're not. And that's what I found here in Canada as well. Um, with a lot of the immigrants here, they are a lot more patriotic than the average Ukrainian person you'll meet in Ukraine. And I find it kind of interesting because, you know, you're far away. So and they are not doing anything for Ukraine, but yet they are so patriotic, which which is why I say it's, it's easy to love your country when you're not in your country. Interesting. And I remember you said that the average Ukrainian in Ukraine is very, very, very different compared to the immigrants from Ukraine in Canada. Can you describe what differences did you notice and how is that culture of the small pocket or the larger community of Ukrainians in Canada? Like, what is there that unites them and make them Ukrainian, the Ukrainian diaspora in Canada? And how are they different, like you described, to the people in Ukraine, in addition to that extra sense of patriotic tendencies? Correct. Well, I know um, Ukrainians who are more recent immigrants in Canada, as well as Ukrainians who, you know, their parents immigrated to Canada or their grandparents, so um, second generation, um, first generation or so. And the key, the key difference is that the people whose grandparents um, immigrated from Ukraine, they were fleeing from something from, you know, the USSR regime. And they usually tend to have more Western Ukrainian beliefs that are more centered around, you know, nationalism and um, that sort of thing, the sort of thing that was highly pushed and supported during the Maidan revolution. Whereas the current immigrants, they, or people who immigrated more recently, they do not really have a, you know, they, they aren't pro or against Russia. Um, they are. They just left because they were seeking a better life and Ukraine could not give that to them, unfortunately. And they will not, you know, say to you, the, talk to you about how much they love Ukraine, which is what I've experienced with the more distant immigrants. A lot of them, you know, they have Ukrainian flags in their Instagram bios. They, um, they always say that they're Ukrainian 
they they kind of they're proud of it, which is interesting because they some of them have never even been to the country and most of them don't know how to speak the language. So it's once again it's this kind of weird thing where the Ukrainians that are more recent immigrants they aren't so proud of their country, but the ones that are distantly Ukrainian want to show it off as much as possible, which is what I've noticed here. And I noticed something about you. You're a, like a thinker and somewhat of an intellectual. To ask you about your personality, do you have more of introverted tendencies or are you a big extrovert? And can you speak about figure skating at the same time? How is that like a manifestation of who you are and your personality? Of course. Um, I would say I'm 100% more extroverted. I enjoy large groups and large gatherings, which, you know, during COVID is not that great of a trait to have. Um, and with figure skating, it has been something that my parents pushed me into doing when I was a little kid, as many um, Ukrainian parents do. It's a very popular sport there. Um, and then I stopped doing it when I was around 11 or 12. Um, just because I felt like it was my parents' wish and not mine. And then when I um, was graduating from school, I found that I was missing it and I wanted to go back to it. So ever since then, I've been training and trying to go back to my skating level that I had before, my figure skating story. And does that mean that you are a girl who is more independent and you wish to and want to come to your own conclusions and make your own decisions and not have anybody like tell you what to do, whether it's parents or government or any kind of entity or person like that? Or are you more of a going with the group kind of person where whatever the majority decides, you believe that's good to flow with them and go with it? Definitely. No, I've, I've, always, I've always questioned the systems in place and authority specifically because once again, as I've said before, they don't always have the people's best interests at heart. So it's always been something that I'm skeptical about. Any sort of authority is, you know, why is it there? Why are we listening to these people? What, what power, what gives them the power that they have? People, people give them the power that they have. And if we take that away, they hold nothing. So that's always been interesting to me. And that, you know, that applies to everything I've done thus far in um, in my time at Kiev International School, I was involved with the student council because I wanted to be part of the people who make the decisions for our student body and people who do what is best for the student body. And that is why I'm in politics because, well, in political science, because eventually I do want to be in politics. I do want to be involved in decision making and ensuring that I do what's best for the people. Yes, which is very interesting. And I will ask you a very like honest question for you to answer, which is why do you wish to return and contribute to Ukraine? And I encourage this. I'm not saying it, no. But like you said, a lot of the Ukrainians who are escaping somewhat from Ukraine to immigrate somewhere else, they really would like to keep it more as a distant memory and restart and live their life there, which is I'm trying to understand so that we can come up with whatever suggestion or solution that you can see 
as a way to retain and recover and bring back a lot of the Ukrainians that might now have decided to leave forever. So I'm asking you specifically, what is the real meaningful reason that makes you wish to return and contribute back and not start a new life somewhere else? That is a very good question. What is the reason I wish to return? Um, I do not know how my life will turn out, whether I will stay in Canada, whether I will go to the United States, when I will come back to Ukraine. Um, but I do know that I do want to be back there for certain things at a certain point. I do know that um, if I have kids, I want them to be raised in Ukraine. I want them to attend Kiev International School even. And because I think there is a level of hypocrisy in, you know, leaving leaving your country and then talking about how much you love said country, as, you know, many immigrants do. And, and that's their prerogative. I do not wish to say that they are wrong for that. However, I think I, I just for me, abandoning a country that I grew up in, having no connection to it except for, you know, this um sentimental value that it holds is not not what I wish to do. I I always wanted a better future for Ukraine and so far ever since Maidan I we have not seen that and it's the the system continues. The system, the corruption, the people that are in power still do the same things they did in 2013 and prior in Ukraine and nothing has changed. I don't know if I can be the change that Ukraine needs, but I hope that I can contribute to it. That is why I wish to one day return. I love your sentiment and good intentions and those thoughts that give you more of a direction and plan for the future. And you mentioned that you wish to graduate with a law degree, and probably that means you will work in some law firm preferably, and probably a big one. And that involves a lot of work, like 16, 20 even hour days. Are you the kind of person who can put stretches of long, long hours for weeks and months and years to get to that goal? Because I noticed the average person in Kiev, they work very hard. They almost don't take time off. They almost don't even know the meaning of leisure. But since you said you were sheltered and working in your own uh, bubble within people who are more privileged and therefore they have more leisure time and less hard work, I'm asking first, did you notice that in uh, Kiev that the Ukrainian people work very, very hard? And is it part of the plan of your life to work for many, many years for almost all the time to become that big time lawyer before you move on to the next step in your life? All right. Well, to answer that, my parents are both um, lawyers. They both have law degrees. So that definitely um, influenced my decision to want to be a lawyer. However, I find law, the practice of it and everything about it very interesting. And for me, that is the only way I can put in work is if I am truly, truly engaged and interested interested in something, um, which I am in law and I am in politics. So I can spend hours reading about it, working on it, whatever, um, because it is something I am very passionate about. The people in Ukraine, I have a 
little personal anecdote to share here. So my best friend in Ukraine, she attended a regular public school in Ukraine. And um, once she graduated, she did not want to attend a Ukrainian university. She also wanted to um, move to Europe. However, she needed to uh, take a little time and work and um, before she could do that. So she worked at a cafe as a waitress. And she would come into work to open the cafe at seven in the morning because the cafe opened at eight and they had to prepare everything. And the cafe closed at 10 p.m. So she would leave at around 11 because she had to close everything down and clean everything. So that is more more than 12 hours of work. And she did it. She did it for very, very small amounts of money, too. And this was a cafe in the center in downtown Kiev. And that's what a lot of Ukrainians do. A lot of Ukrainians are. However, I don't think it comes from a desire to work these long hours. I think it comes from the fact that they need to support themselves. And, you know, we don't have minimum wage. So that's what they have to do. They have to work 12 hours or more a day. And it's very interesting to see that in Canada, in Ukraine, all places, all restaurants and cafes, they would be open till 10, 12. You know, and here in Canada, it's 8 p.m. or 6 p.m. sometimes, you know, which is also very interesting to see. I agree with you. And I noticed that that people in Kiev, like you said, for small amounts of money or even those who make good living still usually do those 12 hour, 13, 14 hour stretches of work every day. And it's to me one of the reasons probably that when foreigners go and they see people in Kiev, they say they look very serious and a bit depressed, but it's probably overwork that affects the soul and the person. And I believe that productivity, true productivity doesn't come from that. But well, like you said, it's not desire. It's there is no other choice. Another thing, you mentioned that you love theater and acting. Can you explain why? What is that fascination and where did it come from, if there is an anecdote? Well, I've always, ever since I was little, I have gone to plays at the Kiev Opera with my parents, my brothers, um, sometimes my friends. It was kind of a regular thing we did. Uh, we also went to see ballets. But a lot of a lot of plays, a lot of opera, a lot of Chekhov. <laughs> um, and I have always loved that. I've always loved seeing the actors, seeing... Uh, because usually in Ukraine, the theaters are usually the same group of people who perform different plays. So it would be interesting to one week see this actor be in one role and the next in another. And I would always love seeing that. And then as I grew older and I took theater and drama in um, my middle school days and high school days, I just grew to love it. And it was something that I did with great pleasure, even though um, my parents do not speak English, so they could never um, come to my school plays or understand them. <laughs> but I did it more for myself than other people. I did it because it was, it was just brought me a lot of joy. <laughs> yeah. And what exactly brought you a lot of joy out of it? You mentioned that it was interesting to see an actor play this character one week and then another character the next. 
Is it for you also to be someone else, to live that other life, to have that freedom to be someone you're not and you couldn't yeah. even be in real life? Is that the most interesting and fascinating part? Indeed, I think I think it is. I think it's uh, very interesting. I mean, we, we only get one life, right? And theater and acting gives you a way to be multiple people, to be whoever you want, whoever your character is. And you are in charge of designing that character. And for the time being, you are in charge of that character's life within the play, which is very interesting because there's, there's no other way you can achieve that. And it's a sort of, it's the same as music. It's a sort of escape into where you don't have to be yourself. You don't have to worry about your own problems. You don't have to worry about everything that is going on in your life because you are the character that you are playing. And that's sometimes a very useful exercise. It, it, a lot of the time it helped me through, if I was going through a tough time, as soon as I got on stage, I could not remember what my tough time was because I was a different character. I was acting as someone else. And though, does this mean that you have the tendencies to worry a lot and you're a kind of girl that if you have a problem, you ruminate on it and keep on thinking about it? Or is it just you're almost that free person who's always forgetting all troubles already and it's boosted through theater? I used to be. I used to be the person who worried about everything for extensive periods of time, even if it was little things that that are arbitrary and maybe do not matter to most. Um, and I used to worry about the, those things a lot. However, then I realized that if I keep worrying about the past or the future things that I can, can't control, that I am letting go of the present and I'm not living in the present. I am always living in my head and not, and I'm, I'm not there. I'm not present. And through I think I think it was majorly through quarantine I've discovered this that um a better strategy was to just live in in the now without thinking too much about the past or mistakes that you cannot fix or things that are out of your control. Yes, and I'm curious because I'm really really sure this is an element and something that if it clicks for the listener it will be of great value. How did you discover that? How did you make that evolution? Was it like by becoming more into self-development? Because you sound like a Zen Buddhist monk right now. So can you explain what gave you that conclusion? Like, did you notice something specific? Did you see something specific? Did you hear something specific? So that the listener, it's not so vague. They can share that moment of discovery with you and maybe it can click for them as well, helping more people let go of worries. Yeah. So my whole life, I have, you know, been this worried person until I started paying attention to other people and other people's problems and what other people are worried about. And I found that everyone else is also worried about the same little things, the same, you know, arbitrary things that define our lives that Sometimes we can control, sometimes we can't control, but most of the time they do not matter as much as we think they do. And it was, it was a realization I had in Canada while I was here during COVID when I discovered that everyone is in essence focused on themselves. And that is human nature to be egotistical at times and 
to prioritize yourself. And that is okay. Um, but in that, we forget that everyone around us struggles with the same things and everyone is worried about the same things. And no one has the time of day to pay attention to each other. Everyone's kind of in their own head. And that allowed me a lot of freedom in, you know, because in Ukraine, there's a culture of kind of dressing up for everything, which is great for some occasions, but it is mostly because for me, I would dress up for school every day because I felt like otherwise people would see me differently or they would judge me or they would look at me differently. And then coming here, I realized that people are all in their heads and they're all experiencing, experiencing these same anxieties that I experience. No one really pays attention to you or to me. Everyone is paying attention to themselves. And as soon as you realize that, it's the kind of thing you, you start thinking, not what I want to do for other people, but what do I want to do for myself? What, what, is, what do I want to do deep inside? I agree with you that if you're worrying what people are thinking of you, they're actually worrying what you and others are thinking of them. And since you said you're a very extroverted social person, at least before coronavirus, you were that uh, gregarious kind of outgoing social butterfly. In Kiev, what were your favorite places to go out? What were your favorite places to enjoy your day in the city? And maybe also speak about Toronto. Did you discover other places that are different and how are they compared to what was available in Kiev? Oh gosh, I mean, the Kiev, Kiev is, it, it's an amazing city. And for anyone who is listening to this, who has not gone to Kiev, this might be hard to understand, but there's a, the energy in Kiev is just not anything that any other city could compare to. Um, my favorite places would of course be the downtown area of Kiev where there's always something going on. There's, you know, it starts off with the Arena City, the big um, mall, I guess you could say, the big outdoor mall with lots of restaurants and shops and whatever else you can imagine. And then there's Kushatik, which is, I mean, it's, it's a staple for a reason. And then there's the Friendship Arch, which is where I went for my graduation, after my graduation. So that is also an iconic place that I always um, hold very close to my heart. And then when you go down, there's the Andrievsky Uziz and the Padil region, which is old, old town Kiev. And that is beautiful because, you know, you there's a, a certain energy to Andrievsky Uziz that can't be felt anywhere else in the city and there's all these little shops and stores and trinkets that you can find and it's so colorful and so different from anywhere else in the city and Kiev once again is a city of contrast you can you can turn a corner and you'll find this you know ugly soviet brutalist architecture building and then you turn another uh, corner and there's a church with the golden arches and the domes and it's beautiful and yeah, similarly to, you know, downtown, you turn one corner and you see these luxury vehicles in the Chanel store and, you know, all these posh restaurants. And then you turn another corner and you see the other side. And it it is sad to see, but it's it's also a very interesting experience being there and seeing this duality. And I love Kiev for it. I I love that it's a very contrasting city and 
because contrast is the best way to see what is going on, you know, the best way to analyze a city and its culture. I agree. And in art, the contrast is everything. It's what makes any painting or piece of art truly interesting. And I have a question that is more of a personal curiosity. When people imagine the winter, even in Kiev, they imagine it like Siberia. But I know that Canada and the winter is Canada is way, way, way worse. At least that's what I know. I don't know how it is in Toronto exactly. Can you compare winter in Kiev to winter in uh, Toronto there? Yes. So um, I actually have a lot to say about this because the winters in Toronto are unbearable. <laughs> And uh, many people think of, you know, Ukraine as, oh, it's, oh, it's Eastern Europe. It's so cold. It's this. But In reality, the Ukrainian winters are pretty manageable. And the only part that I always find um, hard about Ukrainian winters is how dark it is and how fast it gets dark. Um, in Toronto, we don't have that same issue. However, what we do have, and, and I, I do still love Toronto. <laughs> so even though it sounds like I am bashing on it right now, I do still love the city. But the winters here are so, um, I guess, I would say bipolar because one day it could be snowing and there could be a blizzard and the next day it's plus 10 um, degrees Celsius and it's warm and the sun is shining and you don't know. <laughs> and Kiev is more, um, more fixed with the temperatures and it's, it's not as um, hectic. It's not as crazy over there. I would say. Yes, and a small detail. I think in Canada they use Fahrenheit. Do you still think in Celsius or did you adapt or how is that happening? Um, everyone I know in Canada uses Celsius. So I'm, I, know, I know in America they use Fahrenheit, which would be a bit of an issue. Um, here the only thing that I've had to adapt to is um, feet and inches and pounds, which is Yeah, which has been interesting because when someone asks you your height and I say 170, they're like, what? What's 170? <laughs> so, yeah. That's interesting. And I noticed you mentioned before that uh, you dressed up in Ukraine because of the culture, even to go to school while this changed in Canada. Does it mean that you dress like those Canadian girls who wear no makeup, they put a hoodie on and some baggy pants and some slippers and leave the house? Or did you reach that level or are you intermediate? Or <laughs> where, on which part of the spectrum are you? I think I'm intermediate right now. I think I, I've come to realize that um, when you are going to the store to get I don't know, some groceries. There is no need to wear, you know, high heels, <laughs> as many Ukrainians would. Um, there's no need to get that dressed up. And there's a time and place for everything and um, a dress code for every occasion, even if it is going to the store. Um, I don't think wearing sweatpants and a hoodie all the time is the appropriate dress code either. However, I've come to believe that if that's what people want to do, I mean, who am I to stop them? <laughs> if that if that brings them comfort, if that makes them happy, it works for them. That's really for me. another question that I will ask you then. First, are you comfortable walking in heels? Yes. Yeah, I would say so. <laughs> okay, so I a lot of women 
who might be in Canada or the US or even some other parts of the world where they only dress up when it's time to dress up, they might not feel comfortable or walk normally or fluidly in heels. Did you notice that there? And are you a girl who can actually even dance in high heels like those high heel dancers? Because I noticed that in those streets, the cobblestone streets in some parts of Ukraine, some women can have crazy, crazy high heels and walk on those small stones like it's a straight, um, even surface, while in, for in 90% of the parts of the world, that will be a place where women will literally take their shoes, put sneakers <laughs> on, and just walk. So can you comment on this? Yes. So. Um... I think sometimes people are just a little too scared. I mean, it's it's um, in Ukraine, high heels are a staple, um, and it's you know you wear them to work, you wear them. It's it's kind of part of the dress code, part of the daily. Um, and in you know Canada and the United States specifically, um, women might not feel and or men, I I, I don't know. Um, might not feel comfortable wearing heels because, as you said, they think they will walk weird or, you know, and the thing to realize there is everyone has to learn. Everyone has to start somewhere, right? There's learning to be done everywhere, and I'm not perfect at it. I don't think half the women wearing heels are perfect at it. I think it's just it's about, you know, if you want to do it, if that is, if you want to wear heels every day, do it. Just start somewhere, you know, and I think I think in Ukraine, it doesn't come from a, from the women truly wanting to wear heels. It comes from the fact that Ukraine is very much about appearances. Um, it's, it's what I've noticed. It's all, all looks, all show a lot of the time. And which kind of counteracts what I said before about um, it being sincere. But what I mean to say is people wish to look wealthy and wish to look as if they are doing well. Um, even if they might not. Okay, and to ask you a question about like you yourself, did you notice in yourself when living in Ukraine that you are actually impressed by how people look and presented themselves, even though deep down you knew it could be not 100% the reality, but was that something that psychologically even affected you when you were there? So you tried to look even like more successful or whatever than was um, reasonably expected. And when you met someone who was presenting that super extra version of themselves, did it give you, like, impress you somewhat, if I want to say? Because many times when you live in a culture, you cannot escape being affected by it. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think it's a certain, I think it's acting as well, right? I think, I think putting on you know, your best attire every day and putting on, even though you might be working 12 hours as a lot of Ukrainians are or more and still putting on that, the, the attire to look as though you are doing better than you are. That's, that's acting. And I, I think that's a, the crazy part about Ukraine is that people will never admit, I guess, that they are doing worse than they actually are. What I've noticed also from being in, coming to Canada is that when I meet fellow Ukrainians, we can, I, I can discuss with them. Uh, I can criticize the country. I can criticize the government all I want. But when a foreigner decides to criticize the country with us, 
we get Ukrainians get defensive and um, <laughs> and we're like, no, our country is the best. Our country is the greatest of all. Well, I'm sure you'll be a, a brilliant political scientist and lawyer because you're very well articulate as well as a good observant of human nature and of other human beings. And these are essential like, ingredients to be an exceptional person in your chosen uh, field of work and study. So Steph, it was a pleasure. I really enjoyed this conversation and you revealed so much, a lot, and it's very enlightening and thank you for that. So can you share any final words as well as if people would like to connect with you, to know more, to follow you, or anything, what are your links? So any final thoughts as well as the links to find you and discover more? Well, thank you. Thank you so much for having me here. It was great speaking to you and great offering my little share of Ukraine's story. And a final thing that I would like to say is if anyone who is listening to this has ha, ha, wants to visit Ukraine or has thought about it or has never thought about it, visit Ukraine. It's a, uh, I, I described maybe one, 1% of all that Ukraine is, and there's so much to discover there. And I think what a lot of Ukrainian people, including myself, want others to realize is that Ukraine is not just a country in Eastern Europe. It's not, not the country next to Russia. It's not the country that's at war. It's not just one of those countries in Eastern Europe. It's not an, a country from the USSR. It's, it's Ukraine and it's its own thing and it has It's distinct quirks and um, little things that make Ukraine, Ukraine. And the only way to discover those things is to visit. And yeah, and if you would like to know more about Ukraine or connect with me, my Instagram is at s.clemenko. And that is pretty much my only social media. Not a big social media person, so... (laughs) Thank you. It was a pleasure. And I wish you a happy 2021. It's already that year. Yes, I wish you a happy 2021 as well. Hopefully it is better for all of us than 2020 has been.